We will be in Ruth chapter 3. And once you have found your place, if you would stand so that we could hear read the reading of God's Word. Ruth 3, beginning at verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with, whom young wom- with, with whose young women you were? See, his, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lay down. And he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight into the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Pride, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you come to us and you speak to us and that you have a good, beautiful gospel message for us today. Open our eyes, open our hearts, help us to see what you would have us to see. We pray so in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now I promise I uh, somewhat tried to keep them out of this. Um, But this morning, as we look in Ruth again, we have to speak about love, right? This is what this chapter is about. And we can't really speak of love. How can we speak of love without speaking of Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift? (laughs) Because to me, they are the epitome of love in this world. Uh, Of all of the love in the relationships under heaven just physical earthly things, those two are so perfect together. It's perfect. They are the epitome 
of what the world would have us to say. And we could talk about that. And we could, like we did in community group weeks ago, we could debate and I could show you and tell you why they are perfect together. But for now, I just say that so that we can think of what our culture thinks of love. What is real love? We think of love when we go to the movies or see something on TV or famous people like Taylor and Travis. We think of proposals and weddings and extravagant vacations. But much of what the world desires and sees in love is so skewed. It's about the highs of relationships. It's about someone making me feel special. It's about passion and externals. Marriage isn't necessary. Commitment isn't necessary. Love comes and goes. And whoever makes me feel special at whatever time, that's the person I'm going to love. It's so commitment-less. It's so shallow. And it's so selfish. Well, as we come back to Ruth this morning, our goal is to, to separate ourselves from what the world says love is and to seek to understand what God would have us to know about love. What is real love? Because, I promise you this, the world doesn't know what love is. The world can't understand what love is. But also, you and I, we get so confused and we forget what love is. And that's what God would have us to learn and to hear this morning. Last time when we were in chapter 2, we finished that chapter seeing Naomi's conversion and her new commitment to the Lord. She's been saved. And now as we're on this roller coaster of the love story of Ruth and Boaz, we are at a point where everyone, Boaz, Ruth, Naomi, they all know that they're related. That Boaz is this family redeemer. And the Lord has done his work in the heart of Naomi. So now all three of them wait. Wait to see what the Lord would do. Wait to see this relationship to its fullness. And now in chapter 3, it begins with Naomi telling Ruth in verse 1 that she desires that Ruth would have rest. And that it would be well with Ruth. And Naomi gives Ruth this plan to propose to Boaz. And the, the word uh, translated rest here in our Bible means so much more than just rest. Uh, it has so many connotations of being married, having someone providing for you and protecting. And that's exactly what Naomi is, is hoping for for Ruth. That Ruth can be married so that she can experience the God-ordained blessing of marriage and family. Naomi is finally caring for her daughter-in-law. So Naomi tells Ruth the plan to have Ruth propose to Boaz. But before we look at the plan, we need to ask the obvious question, why is Ruth proposing to Boaz? And why is Naomi orchestrating all of this? And what's important for us to realize is that while Naomi is orchestrating this, she has not taken the initiative. Boaz has absolutely taken the initiative in this relationship. We can't forget what's already come. Boaz has called Ruth his daughter. He has provided for her, protected her, promised to continue providing for her and protecting her protecting her. He has brought her into a meal to be part of the family. 
Boaz, by his actions, has already proved that he will be a redeemer to Ruth and therefore Naomi. So in a way, Boaz is already being a husband to Ruth. The only thing missing is an official and mutual commitment and consummation. So it's already right and good. So it's actually, I'm sorry, so it's actually right and good that Naomi would have Ruth propose to Boaz because Naomi is the one that needs to make the decision. She's the one who ran away. She's the one who didn't want to be a part of the covenant family. She turned away from God. She said, no, God is against me. If Naomi wants to be back in the covenant and to be restored, that is the decision she needs to make. Boaz cannot make that decision for her. So Boaz holds out all this promise of redeeming and being a husband and caring for them. And now Naomi needs to receive that. She needs to decide to receive that. So Naomi comes up with this very customary proposal. A customary proposal. And we see her unfold her plans to Ruth beginning in verse 2. Boaz is going to the threshing floor. Wait until dark. Uncover his feet and wait for him to tell you what to do. After winnowing which is when you'd throw a mixture of grain and chaff in the air, and as the breeze would go through, the chaff would go far away, but the grain would fall right at your feet. So after winnowing, Boaz would have a meal on the threshing floor and would drink probably some wine in order to celebrate all the provision that the Lord has done to thank God and to praise God. And as Boaz celebrates, celebrates, The Lord's goodness, his heart is made merry, as it says in verse 7. And after the celebration, Naomi knows that Boaz will fall asleep on the threshing floor in order to protect the grain from thieves and animals. And, And this is where Ruth is going to propose to Boaz. And Ruth is to be ready to be received as a wife. Naomi tells her to prepare herself for the wedding and the honeymoon. In verse 3, she tells Ruth to bathe, put perfume on, and to put on her cloak. And then go to the threshing floor, but don't make yourself known. Don't let them see that you are there. But you must see where Boaz lies down. And once it gets dark and Boaz falls asleep, Naomi says in verse verse 4, Go and uncover his feet. And lie down. And while you can interpret verse 4 overtly promiscuously, as the normal Hebrew word for feet can refer to another body part, and lying down with someone almost always implies more than just sleep, the author is actually specifically indicating that Ruth simply did what the text plainly sets forth. The author even uses a different word for feet that doesn't have the same suggestive undertones as the normal Hebrew word for feet, which makes sense. This is an innocent proposal asking for a committed relationship between two people with integrity. It is not a lustful or manipulative scheme. So the plan boils down to this. Ruth, be ready for marriage. Go observe Boaz. When he falls asleep, uncover his legs so that the cool night 
the cool night air wakes him up, and he notices that you are there sleeping next to him, and wait to see if Boaz will receive you as his wife. And Ruth says in verse 5, all that you say, I will do. And while this is right in the middle of the climax of this story, we must pause and not neglect to see the providential goodness of God in the life of Naomi. How he's beautifully worked out bringing his prodigal daughter, Naomi, back into the covenant. Naomi in chapter 1 left the land. She left the Lord and all the promises of the Lord. She pursued the things of the world, wandered from her God. And God let her. He let her ultimately so that he could work out her salvation and work out this beautiful plan. Because while Naomi left because she was not impressed by God, she didn't believe the promises. She didn't think the promises were worth staying. Now, it has come full circle and Naomi loves the Lord. She has a desire to be in a relationship with God. And this is what God has always desired for Naomi. And this is what God has always desired for you and I. God wants our hearts. He wants our love. He wants our affection. He, he plans this whole, this whole story, this whole love story, that Naomi would see her God and delight in her God. And this is the story of Israel itself, the story of God's people. What happens in the life and the heart of Naomi is a beautiful picture of what God is doing for his people as a whole. Remember, we are in the days of the judges, continued rejection of God, rejection of a relationship with God. God's people hated God and abandoned God for other gods. And there are so many places in Scripture that speak of Israel's adultery against her God. One of those places is the book of Hosea, the whole book, and another is Ezekiel 16. And in Ezekiel 16, we specifically see a parallel story of the people of Israel. In Ezekiel 16, God tells Israel of their sin against him. He says that when no one else wanted you and you were an infant, it abandoned in the desert, the Lord came, had compassion on her, and loved her. And the Lord, when she was of age, it says that the Lord would spread the corner of his garment over her and entered into a covenant with her. And it says, and you became mine. And Ezekiel holds back no punches as he charges Israel with all of this adultery. I wed myself to you, but your heart was sick. You were an adulterous wife. You received strangers instead of your husband. And unlike others, you went out to find them rather than them finding you. The adultery and the wickedness of God's people. And, and the plan that he unfolds in the life of Naomi is the one that he unfolds for Israel as well. They hate him, but God doesn't give up. God lets them find the end of their desires. And when God's people, when, when she realizes that she's wrong after the wrong man, God stands ready to embrace his faithless wife. And now she comes back clinging to the one she rejected, loving the one she hated. God will work. He will work out his plan to bring his bride back to him. Hosea 2.7 says, Then she will say, 
I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me than now. And then in verse 20 of Hosea 2, he says, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. What an amazing God we have. All he wanted was the heart of his people, and all that the people wanted was to reject their God. And all he wants today is your affection and your love. All we've done is run and hate and search after God's other gods, but he loves us too much that he works in us to bring us back to himself. He works in us to show us the end of our desires so that on our needs we can look back at Jesus and say, yes, I want him. I don't know where you're at this morning, but I'm quite confident that some of you here this morning could push back and say, if this God is so good, and if he is so loving, and if you're right that he cares about me this much, then why hasn't this God made himself known? Why hasn't God told me about his love for me? Why doesn't he take the first step? I'm not going to give up my life and throw all of this away if he's not going to come and tell me how he feels. And if you're waiting to hear from God in a clear and obvious way where there's no doubt at all anymore, if you want him to call out to you and tell you how he feels, then listen right now because God has never stopped speaking. He is here among us and he has given us this word from 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That is to say, this is how God has made it clear and obvious that God loves you. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. If you're waiting for God to make the first move, know that he has. And that first move was not chocolate. It wasn't flowers. It was the death of of his only son. He sacrificed his son for you. So that now as you hear him in his word, it is clear and it is obvious that he loves you. That love, greater love than you could ever imagine, is 100% extended towards you this morning. The question is not whether God is going to love you or not. The question is whether you are going to love God. Whether you acknowledge this amazing love and will love him back, because you must love him back. You must see the blessings and receive salvation. And salvation is less than just the judgment. It's less about your standing before God and far more about that affection and that love, that desire to be with God. Like marriages today, yes, it is legal, and that is right, and that is good. But marriage is not about the legalities. It's about the love. It's about the affection. It's about daily sharing life together. And that is why I think the Lord put this threshing floor scene in Ruth. If we look back in Ruth now at verse 7, Boaz has fallen asleep. And he's at the, at the end of the heap grain with a merry heart. And Ruth comes softly and uncovers his legs and lay beside him. And Boaz in the middle of the night is startled. There's this woman sleeping next to him. And he asks who she is. And right then, Ruth proposes to Boaz. In verse 9 it says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over me. 
I'm sorry, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth humbly comes to Boaz and says, spread your wings over me. You remember this is language that Boaz has already used in chapter 2. As, as Boaz sends this blessing over Ruth, and Ruth speaks this blessing right back to Boaz. And says, you are the one that I want to protect me. You are the one that I want to provide for me. And the word wings can also be translated, spread your garment over me. Ruth is, by no doubt, asking Boaz to fulfill the role of a redeemer. And we see Boaz's response in verse 10. Boaz blesses Ruth once again because this kindness is even greater than the last. Ruth clung to Naomi before, and now she asks that Boaz would marry him. Because Ruth has not proposed to just anyone, but Ruth has pursued Boaz, even though he was older. Because if they get married, that blesses not only Ruth, but Naomi as well. Because Boaz is a redeemer of Naomi's. So Naomi's family and land can flourish because of this kindness that Ruth shows. It is such a kindness that, Ruth, that Boaz doesn't have to hesitate anymore. And in verse 11, he says, My daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all you ask. Yes. The answer is yes. They're going to get married. Everything's going to be made right again. And Boaz is excited because Ruth is a, a virtuous woman. Like the Proverbs 31 woman, the people of the city know that she is good. By the end here of verse 11, we as the readers are so excited. We love Boaz. We love Ruth. Yes, they're both going to get married. But again, why does God give us all the details of this proposal? We all know what it means to consummate a marriage there on the threshing floor. We're brought into a scene with more love and affection than you would admit to your children. Ruth is asking Boaz to marry her, to be a husband to her. But why all the deep intimacy and love? Why not just make it PG and have Ruth find Boaz in the field and say, hey, Boaz, can we get married in a few weeks? Why all of the love? Well, I think that the Lord brings this emotion and this desire to climax here to show us what real love is. Marriage and the consummation of a marriage, all that intimacy and affection is unlike anything else. It is very special. But also remember that marriage is not ultimate. God created marriage to illustrate his love for us. Marriage and intimacy is to point to Jesus and his love. We need to remember which is first. Jesus wanted us to know how much he loved us. And because he wanted us to know how much he loved us, then he created marriage so that we could understand how intimately God cares for you and I. So we're brought into this scene and into this love, and God doesn't minimize the affection, but magnifies it to show how much he loves, to show that real love is affectionate, real love desires the other person. Is this the kind of real love and affection that you have for Jesus? Is it mutual? Do you love Jesus this much? You could say, I love Jesus more than I love my spouse. 
Or are you just going through the motions? Well, it's in this midst of deep intimacy and love that both Boaz and Naomi once again prove their integrity. They care more about each other than their own passions. Because though they both love each other and both desire marriage, we see in verse 12 that there's a problem. Well, there's this other guy. This other guy. And he is a redeemer nearer than Boaz. A horrible snag in this beautiful love story. A pragmatist might say, good. Either way, Ruth and Naomi will be provided for. But for us romantics, we just about fall out of our seats and say, no, Boaz and Ruth are perfect together. There's no way any other person would be as good for Ruth as Boaz. Get that other guy out of here. Now there's a hiccup, but because but Boaz still says in verse 13, if this other guy doesn't redeem you, then yes, I will. As the Lord lives, I will redeem you. I promise the answer is yes. I will marry you, but first I have to talk to this other guy. So Boaz tells her to remain until the morning, and then before it's light out, Boaz measures out these six measures of barley and gives it to her. Now, six measures of barley, estimated at about 80 pounds, should not disappoint us, but should keep us yet excited about Boaz and Ruth. The fact that he gives to her six measures of, of barley is important. For in six days the Lord created the heavens and the earth, and he rested on the seventh. In Scripture, six is the number of near completeness. It is so close. You are one step away from rest. And that rest is exactly what Naomi has desired all the way from verse 1. Ruth has already has the promise now. She knows she has the sign of all this barley. Today she will be redeemed. No, that's in the morning. Today she will be redeemed. And Boaz gives Ruth this bundle of barley so that she can bring it back to Naomi so that Naomi isn't empty-handed in the end. Again, she has the first fruits of the fullness of that rest that the Lord is bringing through Boaz. It's as good as done. So when Ruth comes home, Naomi actually asks her, I think in in your version it says, "How, how do you fare? But in the Hebrew it is, who are you, my daughter? Not how did it go or... Um, And not if it was too dark that Naomi couldn't see who it was, but who are you? Are you the wife of Boaz, or are you still a Moabite widow? And while Ruth cannot say that it is fully finished, the marriage is complete, she can show Naomi the six measures of barley, and both of them can have peace and can rest. As it says in verse 18, Wait, my daughter, until you hear how the matter turns out, for for the man will not rest but we'll settle the, manner, the matter today. Boaz's rest, Ruth's rest, Naomi's rest all hang in the balance. In so many ways, it's already done. It's already complete. Especially for us as the readers, as we've seen this story unfold, we know that this other guy is no obstacle for the Lord's plan. We know that the Lord is bringing these two together. It will be completed in just a few hours. Today we will have 
rest. There's this, just this one snag, this other guy. Let me take care of him. Your life is in his hands. He has a right over you. Boaz needs to get this other guy out of the way so that he can be entitled to marry Ruth instead of this other guy. And there couldn't be any more of a perfect illustration of our current state. Already, not yet. We're so close to rest. Jesus is coming back so soon. We are already redeemed. We are made alive. We are united to Christ. And yet we wait for the consummation. We wait eagerly for the wedding that is just around the corner. You and I stand as Christ's bride. We're prepared. We are made ready. We are so in love. And now we wait as the groom has gone out to prepare for this wedding. We wait as he is preparing to marry his bride. Jesus says in John 14, 2 and 3, In my Father's house are many rooms, If it were not so, what have I I told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Speaking of the custom of a husband preparing a place for his bride. In verse 3 it says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. But something had to be done first. Someone held your life in his hands. Someone had a full dominion over you. You had already sold your soul. You had already run from God. You had covenanted yourself to another man. But your lover, your husband, your hero was ready to go to battle with this other guy. But because of God's holiness and righteousness, Jesus could not just snatch us from the arms of Satan. He couldn't just welcome us back into his embrace without a death. Someone had to die to release you from the covenant that you made with the devil. As you were not only born in sin, but you hated God and you ran from God. You searched everywhere for someone or something else that would give you more than what God had offered. But the love of your life died on the cross so that he could marry you. He died on a cross because he loves you. He died on the cross because he wants to spend time with you. He wants to enjoy your presence. He wants to enjoy good with you. He wants to lead you and bless you and care for you. He simply wants you and your heart. There's no other love like this. And it is finished. It is complete. Jesus has already secured our redemption. The heavenly trial is over. And your Jesus is on his way back. And one day, very soon, you are going to see him face to face. And the two of you are going to weep with joy 
as you, the bride, come down the aisle and Jesus shines with all joy, weeping, ready to embrace his bride, overwhelmed knowing that for eternity, the rest, the rest of eternity, for eternity, you too get to spend life forever. He is so overwhelmed with love, so overwhelmed with joy, that the two of you get to live in perfect rest, perfect joy, perfect love, together forever. And that is what Jesus wants, you and him forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, it it sounds so weird. It sounds so crazy. It almost sounds uh, menial and um, like something less that we would think of you in terms of um, a relationship, that we would think of you in terms of uh, a marriage, that we would think in terms of, of you just loving us and wanting to spend time with us. It seems so just different. And yet that is exactly what you are all about. That is exactly why you came. That is exactly why you have called us here this morning. That is exactly why you sent your Son to die on that cross for our sins because you love us and you want us to love you back for all of eternity. We praise you and we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.